We're good? Okay. Um, so we're you, the five membership vows, but there's something else that you need to do when you meet with the elders. What, what is that? Duncan? Right. So you need to give your personal testimony. You need to say, basically, if you think of the sermon I just preached, that I came to see that I was a great sinner and I came to see that Christ was a great savior, even my savior. Remember, it has to be that personal language. We want to hear you not just give a, a discourse on theology, <laughs> uh, but to actually be able to say, I believe these things. Uh, he's my savior, not he's the savior. He's my savior. That li- the difference in the personal pronoun makes all the difference. So uh, that's what that's what a personal testimony is. So. Five membership vows, personal testimony. We are using the shorter catechism, which, as I've said, is a great aid. And uh, as one of the parents pointed out to me, that I'm going through it painfully slow. Uh, but, you know, in some ways, I'm less interested in the catechism. And I'm still treating this as a communicants class. So even now, I've just spent a minute and I wasn't talking about an, of my 15. <laughs> I wasn't talking about the catechism. I'm still trying to impress upon you what it is uh, that the children are, are need to be thinking about. And the way that you come to a place of saving faith is, uh, is reading your Bible and prayer. And when you, when you come to a point that you are at peace with God and that you find that Jesus is your savior, that's when you need to start thinking about, I need to say this before the church, but maybe you're not ready. I keep saying that too. We understand that. And so we're trying to offer some instruction uh, so I understand some of you may be Christians already. You're just not ready to say it. Uh, and, and again, shorter catechism is a great tool for that. So question number three, which we uh, which we did not. I meant to get to last time, but we didn't. And maybe we could even do two this week. Uh, we're still on the subject of the Bible. If you remember, the first question had to do with God as our chief end. He's the one we're pursuing. He's the great end of our lives. Uh, but how do we come to know God? Reading the Bible. And so the next two questions have to do with the Bible. Uh, and uh, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? And the long answer we considered last time. But the short answer is the Bible, the word of God. But then the second uh, question, which is the third question, but the second question about the Bible is what do the scriptures principally teach? Can anyone other than you <laughs> uh, go ahead, Claire, give me the answer. Great, great. So the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And so you notice that that is broken up into two parts. It's summarizing. It says the scriptures principally teach, which means it's the primary teaching. There are other things it teaches other than these two things, but it principally teaches or its principal message to you as you read it have two focal points. By the way, this brings us back to the first membership vow, which has to do with the Bible. Do you believe the Bible consisting of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God? And so that first part has to do with question two. Question three is its message, its message and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation. Do you believe the Bible to teach the way of salvation? Uh, so, but, but question three is saying that its principal message is what man is to believe concerning God, number one, and what duty God requires of man. So just to be very simple, what, what man is to believe concerning God, 
God is revealing himself to us in scripture. He's saying, this is what I'm like. I am a God who's full of wrath, vengeance, and fury upon the ungodly and the unrepentant. But I'm also a God who's full of mercy and love, justice and truth, and so on. Grace, that was the word I was looking for. A God is full of grace. Um, God is revealing that to us. Remember I said it's his love letter to man. And then Claire asked me after the class, what's a love letter? And I realized maybe, maybe kids didn't, uh, don't think in those terms yet. And why would they? Unless they read it in a novel or something. But a love letter, and I said to you, it would be like if your dad went off to war and he wrote your mother a letter and he was expressing his love for her and how much he, he longed to be with her. That's a love letter. Well, God is expressing his, his love for humanity in scripture. And his desire to save us. But also his determination to punish us if we don't repent. So God is revealing that. That's what he wants us to believe about him. What, uh, what uh, the scriptures principally teach. What man is to believe concerning God. And another thing I'll tell you is that the catechism is broken down according to these two points. So catechism question and answers 1 through 38 are what man is to believe concerning God. But questions 39 to the very end is what duty God requires of man. And where does God reveal his duty to man? In scripture. And then that scriptural requirement is summed up in, uh, in the shorter catechism, questions 39 to the end. What do you think it focuses on? Anyone know? Well, yes. What in the Bible? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Uh, so... Uh, that's the duty God requires of man, what he wants us to believe about himself, what he wants man to do. What he wants man to do is found primarily in the Ten Commandments. Uh, so, but do you notice that in both of these uh, clauses of the sentence that God is primary, that God is the one revealing himself to us, and it's also God who is the one to whom we owe our duty, so it's what God would have us to believe, and it's what God would have us to do. Uh, what's the hymn? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust him, obey him. What God would have us to believe, what God would have us to do. That's the third question. Another way to put this, actually, I'll stop there. That's question three. I'm trying to put a, a premium on simplicity so that we can get through more questions. So I do want to say one more thing. The order is important. God, then man. What we're to believe about God, what duty God requires of man. Don't rush to the duty. If you start with obedience before you start with faith, you're completely on the wrong path. You have to start with faith. You have to start with a belief in God, a belief in his son, uh, a belief in what he's like and what he's done in scripture before you ever try to understand what he wants you to do. So don't start with obedience. Start with faith. Okay? And what's the object of faith? No. God or Jesus. Were you going to say that, William? I'll call on you next time. Sorry, bud. Okay. So God is the object of faith. So next question. Now we return to God again. What is God? Anyone want to take a stab at that other than these two? Can anyone do it? Can you do it, Lily? You don't want to be put on the spot. Meredith, you go ahead. Well, no, I'm, I'm talking about the answer to the short catechism. Does anyone have that? You want to go, James? 
Can you keep going? Can anyone finish it? Can he actually finish it? You want to try, Caleb? All right, go. <laughs> yeah, this is a shorter catechism. Do you want to try, Paul? Uh, no, that actually is going to come up in questions five and six. So God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and is being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's shorter catechism number four. So the question is just simply, what is God? And the first thing it says is what you said, James, that God is a spirit. The three, the three persons will be question five or six. I don't remember now. Okay, question six. Um, but we're just looking very generally at what God is. And God is a spirit. Well, what does that mean? And that's definitely, I know that's in the child, children's catechism. Can you give me the children's catechism, Caleb? What is God? That's it. He's a, and that's a great way to summarize it for children. God is a spirit and does not have a body like man. The and there explains the prior clause. To be a spirit means he doesn't have a body. Uh, so when we say, well, even before we say that, is there a God? It actually doesn't ask that question, does it? It assumes it. Is there a God? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, in order to please God, we must believe that he is. We must believe there is a God. But if we believe there is a God, as we must, what is he like? Another way to ask the question is, what do the scriptures reveal about him? Remember, the scriptures principally uh, teach what man is to believe concerning God. Well, what is man to believe concerning God? And so they reveal that he is a spirit, which again means that he does not have a body like men. It means, I'm going to use somewhat technical language. Um, this is difficult. Some of this is difficult. Um, but I love that the shorter catechism basically calls the children to, to think. Uh, so some of these things you'll say, no, I'm not, I'm not sure about that language. That's fancy. That's formal. But uh, I, you can get this uh, with time. But his essence, do you understand what I mean by that? His being, his essence, is spirit. So God does not exist as a body. He doesn't have hands. He doesn't have eyes. He doesn't have a mouth. And yet he speaks and he touches the world and he sees all. But he exists, that's what we mean by essence, his mode of being. He exists in a spiritual form. Always. He is always a spirit. So he is a spirit and doesn't have a body. You see, Thomas Watson puts this well. I have a note to look at, look at Thomas Watson. So let's see what he says. I wish I'd put the page number. I'm not sure what I wanted to read. Um, Anyways, uh, I think he said something about being immaterial. I don't know if that's helpful or not. So let, let's just set that aside. But what that means is it begins to describe this. And we may not finish this question and answer today to keep ourselves to 15 minutes. We have three minutes. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. So his essence, his mode of being, his God, godhood cannot be contained in space and time. 
Whereas you, you are contained in space and time. You are trapped in this moment in that body, in this place. And you can't transcend that for, for one moment. You can't go back and live in the Middle Ages. You can't go up into the sky. You are contained in your physical body in this moment, space and time. Yes, Clara. Uh, that's, that's a good question. And that will come up later in the catechism. So he, he takes on a body. So it's, it's an addition it's not who he is eternally. Eternally, Jesus is not a man, but he does become a man. So that's a good question, and he does have a body. Uh, but that's let we're we're laying the foundation right now, and we'll get there. So, but that is, I mean, Thomas Watson. As I was reading him, he said, "Well, what about Jesus?" So that is the big question that people have. Um, so, but but God, okay. I said you're you're trapped in this moment in this body, but God. His being, his essence, his godhood pervades and fills all of time and all of space. The whole of the world is full of God and it always has been. And so the limits that contain your personal existence do not contain God's. His whole existence is one of limitless perfection. And that's what we mean when he's a spirit. He's not confined to one space or time. He fills the universe. He fills time with his essence. And that's what it means when it says that he's infinite and eternal. To say God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. But to say infinite means that he is not finite. He is not limited in the way I was just describing. You were limited sitting in that pew. He is infinite. He has no limitations. He's also eternal. He's not trapped in this moment. Even now, and this will stretch your brains as far as the whole universe, even now his essence fills all of eternity all at once. You can't even conceive of that. One, two, three, four, five. I, each second, you're, <laughs> that's where you are. But God is everywhere all at once. Uh, so that there will be no time in eternity. Although there is that one passage in Revelation that said half an hour passed. I always found that humorous. Uh, and I have no idea what that means because... Because the reality is that there is eternity is a timeless existence. It is one eternal present. So God is not waiting for the next hour to act. Uh, I know this is incredibly difficult to comprehend. But if, if, if the difficulty to understand what I'm saying gives you a sense of the greatness of God, then that's enough. Because the greatest minds that have ever lived on this earth have not been able to comprehend the essence and the eternity of God. We are speaking of a great mystery. Uh, but he's also unchangeable. And that will be my last thought. And then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take up the other attributes. Actually, in two weeks, because we don't have a class next week. I'm off next Sunday. I will be here, but I would like to enjoy that break. Um, I'm just going to stop here because we have five seconds. He's unchangeable. So if you think about infinite, eternal, unchangeable, it's describing God as the opposite of ourselves, basically. We are constantly changing. You as children are growing all the time. You're not even the same person tomorrow that you are today. Neither am I. We are always changing as time is proceeding. But God is always the same. Always the same. He never changes. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He's so vastly greater than us. That's the point. And so when God reveals himself to us, so often he says, I'm not a man like you. I'm one who's altogether different and altogether greater in every conceivable way. 
Now, my little daughter, Anne, likes to say, is there anything God can't do? And I always say, yes, there's something God can't do. In fact, there's two things God can't do. He can't sin and he can't die. Uh, But beyond that, uh, there's nothing he can do. His whole existence is one of, as I said, his own limitless will and perfection. So I suppose we could say he can't contradict himself, but that would also be to sin. So uh, let's not get cute with our questions and our philosophy. That's what the philosophers like to do. Can he create a rock so big he couldn't move it? (laughs) No, he couldn't. So, uh, and you shouldn't have asked the question either. Luther said uh, hell was created for people who ask questions like that. Uh, maybe that was Augustine. I'm not sure. Yeah, James. No, I'm sorry. That was a contradict means for him to do something against his own will. So if you said, uh, Mom, I love you, and then you did something that made her think that you hated her, that would be to contradict yourself. Okay. So it's to say one thing and do another or to say one thing and then say something else. It's it's to go against yourself. So I've gone beyond the 15 minutes. We need to stop. This time fills up so quickly, but I'm trying not to hold people too long since we were just in an hour and 15 minutes of worship. We don't have class next week. We have four more weeks after that, and then we're going to break again until the spring. So um, let's let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these children. And uh, for their questions and for their faith and their understanding and even their their lack of understanding Uh, in all these things. Oh, God, we pray that through the mouth of babes, you would receive praise and that you might bring more, more and more disciples unto yourself. In Jesus name. Amen.